I uh, had a great rally with uh, John Fetterman in Pittsburgh. Uh, there was a grit that he's displaying. He's coming back from uh, health adversity, much like many people in Pennsylvania who've been knocked down come back. I just saw a poll this morning in the New York Times that has him up five points. Uh, I think it, it, the momentum still is on his side, but we have to get the turnout out. And uh, we're, the way Pennsylvania goes really could determine the control of the Senate. And what about Wisconsin with Mandela Barnes versus the grocery store magnate Ron Johnson, current senator? You know, Mandela uh, is the American dream. I was very proud to support him early on in the primary. Uh, and uh, he really is the son of uh, working class parents who uh, has risen through sheer hard work. He believes in bringing manufacturing back to Wisconsin. He believes in standing up for the working and middle class. Ron Johnson uh, has supported policies that has led to pr the private equity firms basically bankrupting HuffCorp, uh, led to the offshoring of manufacturing jobs, the hollowing out of Wisconsin. We have five it's a seconds. clear economic choice. Well, Congressmember Rokana Wina, thank you for being with us, Democratic Congressmember from California. Tune in on November 8th for our three-hour election night special. We'll be broadcasting live starting at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's 6 p.m. Pacific. That does it for our show. Check out our job listings at democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us. <laughs> listening to KBOO Portland. This program is made possible by KBOO members and support from the League of Women Voters of Portland, providing nonpartisan election information at lwvpdx.org. The League of Women Voters has online voters' guides, videos, and podcasts to help voters understand the state and local candidates and measures that will be on the ballot this November. Nonpartisan voter information is at lwvpdx.org. Hey, yo, this is Clipping. You're listening to KBOO. Good morning. You are listening morning. to More Talk Radio here on your community radio station, KBOO, 90.7 in Portland, 91.9 in Hood River, 104.3 in Corvallis, KBOO.FM, over the World Wide Web. And if you are listening live, um, today is the 31st of October, and uh, you are here with your uh, host this morning. I am Cecil. I am Celeste. Good morning, Cecil. How are you, Celeste, this morning? I'm fine. <laughs> I have to look out the look out the window to be sure. Yeah. Well, that's a good, uh, that's a good res know. good response because you know coming to the radio station this morning in the dark in the rain. Mm -hmm. And I was just, there's an article in the New York Times this morning um, that talks about, you know, after a while, you know, people were talking about whether or not people will go back to work or not. And uh, this article talks about, well, what do people feel like now that things have returned to um, in many places, some sort of hybrid work in space, and I think people have changed over the last few years. So, you know, as I was, you know, stepping in puddles this morning, I said, you know, this was an obligation I needed a few years ago to do, had to do, and it is no longer. I mean, most of the things I can do now, why do I come out in the rain? Yep, yep. I mean, <laughs> most of the things I do are on video, but, you know, that's another story. But I, I, I'm not looking at today as a rainy day, you know. I, I, I won't get into too much to why I have this particular ideology, but today is my last day of summer. 
And and the reason I do it that way is not only because I used to celebrate the entire month of October uh, for my birthday because my uh, one of my siblings and I share a birthday and lots of other family members have birthdays in October and friends. Um, but it used to help me cope with the uh, seasonal affective disorder if I told myself this was the last day of summer and then from November 1st to December 21st was fall, real short, and then the long days would start on the 21st, you right. know. So I, that was my coping map. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's that sounds, that sounds great. You know, I also sometimes think of, of the... Um, what is it? Uh, the beginning of winter, December twenty first or whatever, as the beginning of a spring. So, you mm-hmm. know, because it's mm-hmm. it's getting light lighter. But uh, well, you know, as as uh, I think it was John Lennon, was it or was it Ringo? One of them says, "Whatever gets you through the night," you know. <laughs> wow. But anyway, um, you know. All of this goes to finding ways to help us stay uh, functioning and relatively healthy, whatever that means, and fit. And uh, the last uh, segment on uh, Democracy Now! kind of touched on one of the topics we had today, which was uh, fitness for duty. And it's an interesting concept because we're not talking about just, you know, um, um, being able to discharge whatever services or duty or office that you're, uh, you're engaged in uh, physically, but, but also mentally. And it, the Democracy Now! segment ended with uh, a piece uh, reflecting briefly on... Um, on uh, Fetterman's um, struggle to regain health and and uh, excellent example of maintaining dignity in the face of adversity. And I looked at that and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting the way um, not only Oz is treating him, but the way people in general seem to be reacting to uh, the fact that he recently had a stroke and is manifesting signs of both having survived that but recovering from that. And in the meantime, however, uh, being able to discharge the duties that he's running for um, are critical. And I'm, I'm looking with interest at how people are, are redefining or maybe just defining what that whole concept of fitness for duty is. Certainly, um, because we know that not all health issues are, are created equal. And the question is, um, it becomes a matter of medical and political ethics. Um, what are the important or salient issues that the public need to know about those who um, seek to serve in, in public office. Uh, you know, you 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 want. I assume most people want the person they vote for to. Um, they expect them to uh, finish their their term in office. So there's lots of questions just generally. Um, you know, there was a concern that people raised. Remember way back when when. Ronald Reagan was thought of as being too old to run for president. Um, probably would look like a youngster now compared to the last two major um, candidates for of the political office, uh, Mr. Biden and Mr. Trump. Um, but there was a concern during his second term of Alzheimer's disease. And so there are questions, some people are concerned about... Um, people who are running for president and their cognitive functions and their abilities and not only presidents but as you suggested other political office as well so um, what is fitness for duty what is it that we should know what determines your 
vote in terms of determining whether or not a candidate is fit for duty? What what are things you look for? We are interested in your thoughts. Our numbers are five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. And and Celeste, could you uh, define a little bit more what we're seeking this morning? Well, that's that's thanks for that. Um, I can kind of start by giving a couple of examples. Um, Cecil and I, when we were choosing this title, we talked a little bit about, for example, how uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was um, considered one of our outstanding presidents in many ways, um, was in in many people's eyes, there might have been questions of his fitness for duty just because of his physical uh, challenges and he was confined to a wheelchair, and apparently that was uh, considered um, uh, very important to conceal from the country. I mean, we were trying to get our, ourselves back into thinking we were hale and hearty and, and recovering, and so they wanted somebody who looked like, I guess, a super person, you know, an exceptional person, uh, to to be in that office, and they hid, you know, his his challenges from us. Um, but you know, his intellect notwithstanding, he managed to, despite that, get the job done because he he was he was a brilliant person. Okay, uh, then you can, for example, use Stephen Hawking, who was also fraught with physical challenges. Uh, and he had communication issues. Um, and yet, who could deny this was another brilliant person? So the way we define fit for for duty, um, maybe does it need change or not? I mean, um, I feel like I'm missing a point that we also brought up. Well, you know, one thing that we just generally talking about in in terms of what is uh, should be known um what is should be public public information and who oh, ha- yeah. who should have access to public information so some of it may seem invasive um ableist um and uh-huh. just plain ethically wrong to demand medical information about another human being so what information should your imp- potential employee or your employee have about your medical information? How how much data should be available um, for anyone to see? And, and, you know, to a lesser degree, that is true to a more of a degree. How much, how much or what um, should we be able to demonstrate that we're capable of doing? You know, one of the jokes about Fetterman, unfortunately, was that he required um, he required closed captions. <laughs> I I was saying to Cecil, well, you know how interesting it was that people would say that when a lot of people who are behind a podium on television or making a presentation used a teleprompter or some kind of reader so that they could stay on point. And what is the difference between that and Fetterman? Not a big substantive difference. Now, yes, uh, he did have some challenges with communication, uh, but most of the time he was able to make his position clear, uh, though there was a couple of times when he was trying to decide, well, I shouldn't say decide, he was trying to pull forth the correct way to respond to fracking when he said, I, I do or not don't. And, and that was part of uh, the, the injury from the brain. Uh, from the stroke, rather. And so I look at that and I think, well, we've had presidents who were not as intellectually and cognitively agile, you know, as Fetterman in this state. And uh, one of them just left office, you know. And so that, again, begs the question of what is fitness for duty? What are we looking for? How do we define it in this age of trying to overcome barriers as well as remove limitations from people being able to serve to the fullness of their capacity as their capacity is designed? 
I believe that there has been, it's certainly nothing required, uh, but there has been an effort for several decades for uh, candidates who run for the office of president of the United States to release their medical records, and this has been a a a rite of passage for candidates over the you know last few decades up until 2016, um, when uh, Donald Trump did not release his uh, access to his medical records to the public, and he did not do so in 2020 um and and Mr. Fetterman in in Pennsylvania has has not pledged to release his records surrounding his stroke and said his doctor believe he is fit for service the same thing Mr. Trump um said uh, when he ran for president in 2016 and 2020 so how much information should be public our numbers are five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. And how do you feel about your information? And do you and and what's what's your idea of fitness for duty? What yes. does that mean? Yeah. What, what is fitness for duty? No, you know this sounds a little macabre and a little weird. But you look at some of the cartoons or side fiction shows uh, where you've got. Um, somebody's head preserved in a in a jar and um I believe that was one of the Simpsons episodes for those who may have seen the Simpsons and I look at that and I think that's a little macabre you know but but it, it says something about how we visualize what are the important components of self you know and of a person and on one hand it's like saying well that's all we need if you got the brain, that's, that's the only function you need. But then, you know, when you were mentioning um, Ronald Reagan, I, I started laughing because he may not have been fit for duty because, as a lot of us know, uh, poor Nancy was tasked with uh, keeping a lot of it running with her and Jean Dixon, <laughs> you know, uh, ironically. But... Um, it's, it's it's kind of frightening because you don't know what's going on behind the scenes sometimes. But I I, I want to shift gears from that. Quickly give the phone number, 503-231-8187. And then I want to pivot to another aspect of communication, which it may or may not rise to the occasion of getting conversation. We'll see. But I saw it and I started laughing. Because in one of the articles, uh, I'd be doggone if it didn't almost encapsulate the same thing we were talking about with regard to uh, fit for service, being fit for duty. And that was um, in a few magazines, there's a little conversation going on about um, how Generation Z does not like the use of certain emojis and wants them retired because they don't feel that they are um, positive uh, communication. And one of those was the thumbs up emoji. And so I was telling people about this and had shared a couple of articles with him. And I just found that to be, I, I'm not even sure what I want to say. It common, I, it's not like I don't take people's concerns serious because I did. But when I looked at that, I didn't know how to process it, I guess. Um, because you've got, you've got people saying that um, they felt that the, the thumbs up emoji uh, was passive aggressive and dismissive. And I thought, well, each generation should have um, opportunity to, to, to discuss and be taken seriously about communication trends that do or don't work for them. After all, one of the things we're talking about in uh, discussing fitness for duty is being able to communicate and to communicate meaningfully. Um, but that just seemed to be such a glaring generational difference. I wondered if it's the tip of the iceberg 
or maybe the first, what do you call it, a forerunner? Right, right. Well, let us know what are some of your thoughts. And again, 503-231-8187, whether or not you want to talk about fitness for duties or talking about um, generational differences as related to emojis. Let's go to a caller. Molly, good morning. How are you today? Good morning and on this Halloween morning to both of you. And um, I just thought I'd chime in um, on the physical aspect of somebody who's kind of in charge and running things and our spokesperson as a political leader of any kind would be. Um, I think it would be more important to have everyone running for any office to take an IQ test, basically. Uh, uh, nobody should be fit to yes. run um, because the mind and the body, of course, are connected. But um, as Liam Neeson said, uh, anyone who believes in the rapture shouldn't be in charge of anything, for instance. And uh, so there's, I don't know about brainwashing and how these things happen, but it does seem to be a major problem that we've got in the world today of people believing things, whether it's the QAnon thing, uh, whatever, it just doesn't make any sense. So physical, obviously, as Celeste, so I was going to mention about Stephen Hawking, I mean, a physical body, there's many people, and anyone in a wheelchair would say, hey, don't don't tell me I'm less than anyone else, because I just happen to not have the ability of, to walk, kind of thing. So I wanted to uh, mention that part. And also... Um, just really quickly, I'd like to address something last week I didn't get to call in about um, what you were talking about last week, but I had watched a Henry Louis Gates show, uh, one of his great programs, and there was a Jewish man who survived. Um, he didn't realize about his family, and Henry Louis uh, Gates uncovered his, his um, her her heritage and everything. And so he said what he felt after finding this out was that he wasn't just an American. He felt that he was a citizen of the world. And I I think in politics, and taking it back to politics, that we can only act locally, but we really do have to think globally. And, for instance, um, Misha in Iran, who I think the whole world is standing up, and these people need the whole world to stand up them for them, just like the people in Ukraine or the, the people in Africa are now suffering from the lack of food from Ukraine and the whole connection, because we are one world. Um, somebody told me, I asked what the word meta meant, and that person just responded, oh, that's the internet. Well, before the internet, it means pertaining or pertaining to or occupying positions in the benzene ring separated by one carbon atom. So on the internet and in the world today, we are not just 10 degrees of separation. We're an atom degree of separation. It's an old prefix appearing. It's a loan word from Greek words, like meaning after, along with, be, uh, behind, beyond, or behind. No, beyond, or among, or behind. <laughs> uh -huh. So um, those are just some thoughts I was having because your wonderful show brings up these these thoughts, and this is how, as one world, we can try to get somewhere better. We're better than this. <laughs> we hope. Thank you. Yes. See you soon, Celeste. Well, thank you so much, Molly. Yeah. I'll listen to your show now on Halloween. Thank you. All right. Bye. All right. Thank you. So, again, our numbers are 503-231-8187. That was Molly sharing some, some thoughts about uh, what we've been talking about this this morning and also reference a conversation from, from last week. Um, what are the qualities that you look for um, as you think about those who seek to serve in public office, what information do we need to know, do you need to know? How do you judge one's, a person's ability to serve? Whether, uh, as Molly suggested, a candidate should submit to an IQ test, or what other things should be a part of the discerning process? 
Our numbers here are 503-231-8187. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm thinking if someone took a a test. <laughs> yeah. And, and they might say it's rigged. So, you know, what is truth, you know? Well, you know, that's the point. That's the story. I, I was I was chuckling, though, because sometimes what we believe in is not necessarily an indication of the height or depth of our IQ, you know. You could be a truly brilliant person and believe something that everybody else thinks is absolutely not. <laughs> and, you know, who who who's to say? Maybe you're the one person that figured it out. But, uh, you know, you have people who are considered specimens of, 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 uh, or paragons of physical capacity, like, uh, Herschel Walker. <laughs> but to me, he's not fit for service. Not only because, um, He's got some questionable, you know, um, values, and he's a hypocrite, but he has not taken whatever capacity he has serious enough to learn what he needs to know to be fit in the office. Uh, and you know, President, former President Obama had this thought exercise, which I thought summed it up, when he just compared the two of them perhaps, you know, on the football field or the fact that uh, you've got Herschel making these outrageous statements about people needing cheaper prices for insulin and his response was, well, they need to eat right, you know. And, you know, the, the, the response was, um, you need to learn something, you know, you need to read or you need to take this job seriously or are you just a blithering idiot, you know, or what exactly is it? And, you know, I'm sorry. Well, you know, I, I, I think I think your your statement might have had more impact uh, 10 years ago, but since that time, in terms of our political uh, <laughs> You're right. sense of what is important, that certainly we've had had a a president elected who um, created facts and or so-called facts. Um, we have a whole political party, including the party of the person you referenced running for um, Senate from Georgia, who denies the the facts around the last election. So. You know, how do we decide or discern? And, you know, we have in the United States a long, proud history of know-nothing uh, and the fact that anti-intellectualism is is something that we, we cherish in a lot of our society. So, you know... There might there might be a reason why um, the candidate you mentioned is doing so well in his race. We can only reference other candidates who um, were able to tap into the population's desire um, to uh, run against the so-called elite. But we want to hear what you have to say. All you have to do to join in the conversation is dial 503-231-8187. And we're, we're talking about this concept called fitness for duty, fit for duty. And, and the, con the conversation is uh, more or less inspired by John Fetterman's um, incredible run and campaign for for office in, in Pennsylvania and the fact that um, he's holding his own in so many ways against a man who uh, has had the benefit of um, advanced education and uh, money and status and, and yet he has 
despite having had a stroke, managed to show that there there needs to be more depth, I think, and understanding and consideration of what is fitness for duty. And especially in this age where we find out how people are differently abled and uh, marvelously and wonderfully able to communicate and achieve and how we, we are constantly trying to figure out how to remove barriers so that people can achieve. And, and, and I'm not advocating by any means that, you know, we, we remove any type of standard for fitness, but I'm curious as to what it should be now in 2022 as we're moving forward. Yeah, and, and just a, a point of clarity in, in your discussion of the um, candidates for Senate from, from Pennsylvania, you referenced one of the candidates as having an advanced degree, and I also want to let people know that um, uh, both candidates have advanced degrees, um, Mr. Federman as well as Dr. Oz. Um, uh, Mr. Federman has degrees, advanced degrees, um, business administration, attended Harvard School, um, a master of public policy. So in terms of the norm of who's educated, they're both well-educated, and I, I think a point you were making in terms of how they, uh, one candidate um, met the challenges he faced from a medical um, medical emergency in his life. Well, that, that, I, guess, oops, I forgot about the fact that um, 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 Fetterman had his his degree, but I was thinking about how in 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 American society, especially, we we idolize doctors, mm-hmm. you know, and they get an undue amount of of uh, praise and and uh, and favor. And so I'm I was looking at that, but you're absolutely right. Let me not forget that. Anyway, five zero three two three one eight one eight seven. And what were you about to say? I was going to. Uh, I was thinking that, you know, as I looked over my ballot last week and, f- and filled it out, I don't think I asked the questions that we ask in terms of, uh, you know, all these candidates fit to serve, or, or at least not in that term and in that way. But I think it's a legitimate question in terms of one in access to information. And then there's the question of, how much information should the public have or have a right to to, to need to know? What do we need to know? And, you know, as you suggested, there was a one time in our, our history that we knew very little about those who held political office and that there was a, a quite frankly, a gentleman's agreement um, to keep some things out of the realm of public information. And some people would argue things went very well. Uh, we have since reached a point, uh, maybe post, post-Vietnam, post-Watergate, that we see the need to have information and access to information seems to be a desire and certainly in this um, social media uh, driven world um, we have we think we have access to information that we did not have um, instantly and so it I think it changes how people approach public office and people opinions about what information we need to know and quite frankly, it doesn't make a difference. Again, I, I go back to the former president who, you know, even though he did not release his, his medical records, but there were release of tapes and t- things he said and things he did and did not seem to make a difference with, uh, you know, half the voting population that regardless of what we know or do not know, um, and depending upon one's view of what is reality, we can choose to ignore it and 
put on the label of of misinformation that which is is at one time thought of as truth so yeah it's sort of like we're Alice in Wonderland I think <laughs> it could be but um, we, we want to encourage your conversation and you know like I said if uh, you not really moved by this particular topic I did I was confused about how uh, we got to this idea that the thumbs up emoji was hostile but also just the thought of the idea that people um, people do have uh, I guess a right to determine what type of conversational styles they want or or are meaningful to them but at the same time we got to kind of have some kind of societal consensus about you know what constitutes a positive uh, message and, and, and intent and what doesn't because if I'm saying thank you to somebody because they did something and I really appreciate, I would really have my feelings a little bit hurt, I think, if they decided that I meant them ill will. Right. You know, <laughs> if, if I say thank you, they think I'm saying, you know, you with another <laughs> another emphasis, I'd be dismayed. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, on one hand, I think it's the natural shifting of language and the natural shifting of communication styles and 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 symbols of significance. But on the other hand, I'm wondering, okay, is this something too much? Somebody comes to work, they're in a bad state, they get a thumbs up, and they decide that this person is being mean to them for whatever reason. And so they tell their friend, don't you think this is kind of like mean and rude and cold when somebody tells you, thumbs up or okay well we we have a couple of a couple of thumbs up right now there's a couple of callers so let's see what they have okay, to well, say let's get to, yes good morning let's go to harry good morning harry oh, good morning and thank you for taking my call uh, the subject you're talking about uh, uh candidates help and uh, to remind you about uh franklin delano roosevelt he he kept secret that he had polio and he couldn't really walk and um they and the the media kind of knew something was going on a lot of them just kept it uh, quiet um if the public knew that he had polio and couldn't really walk was in a wheelchair they probably would not have voted for him three times yes four times four times excuse me (laughs) Yeah. And, and you know, one of the reasons we, we, we brought him up um, was in not only discussing the fact that he did not share all of the uh, information about his health and that um, everybody closed the, you know, ranks around that and it wasn't widely publicized, but the fact that were we as a, as a uh, society here in the States, were we able to see his fitness for duty? Because we, we were coming out of a difficult state. We had been in war. We had, we had economic trouble. Um, maybe people were afraid that he would not be a good symbol of health, healthy, you know, leadership that we required to get back in our dominant role. And, and so, go ahead. No, it's going to say, and, you know, I think there's a question about looking back into history and trying to decide, what did we really know or or not know? In fact, you know, Time and the New Yorker both casually mentioned FDR used a wheelchair in 1934 and did a 1941 life profile of him using a, a chair. So, so people knew. It was sort of like, what did they know or how much did they know and what was thought of as important? Yeah, he had, uh, because they mentioned polio, I mean, it struck everybody, and him being very wealthy and having his own, not his own, but he set up a a spa, uh, whatever, to treat people with, so people thought, but um, the idea that uh, 
didn't know that he couldn't walk. Well, couldn't walk. They, they. I saw a special on on PBS about it and how you know he practiced and everything to be able to. Um, he had um, metal legs or whatever on it, uh, braces, and be able to walk. And someone kind of guided him to the podium. So people didn't know, but um, um, yeah, it's. I mean, I mean, because polio was really bad back then, and right. it was uh, cheering. But having the president with polio too, yeah. um, you know. Well, anyway, well, that's all I have to say. Well, uh, thank you very much. Hey, thank you so much, Harry, and you have a, uh-huh. a great day. Thank you for raising the points about what we know and what we did not know, and how we, how we, what we do with the information. Let's go to Francis, who's on the line. Good morning, Francis. Hi. Yes. Hi, so all that, all that tells me is that it didn't matter that he had polio. Um, I, I, what. I use to determine whether somebody's quote-unquote fit is whether their policies are those that I agree with and whether or not they're able to cast a vote for legislation that I want. So the physical condition is really irrelevant to me. Mm. Um, I think Fetterman did fine. Mm. You know, it reminds me, as far as the text messaging goes, I've ended up getting on the phone and having a telephone conversation rather than having to use so many words to explain myself while texting. And that still works. Having a real conversation really works. But um, I'm reminded of a friend of mine years ago. She and I played dominoes together, and while we were doing that, we solved all the world's problems and um, drank our coffee. The and she had a stroke, and in the process of that stroke, she lost her ability to speak. Mm-hmm. And she was in a care facility, and people were, you know, taking care of her and everything. I think people thought maybe she had brain damage, severe brain damage. And I went to visit her, and she was playing old maid with her sister. And I said to my up, if she can play old maid, she can play dominoes. So I took my dominoes there the next time. Mm-hmm. And she could count right on. She knew how to play dominoes. Her brain was fine. Yes. She could still play chess. Yes. And when she needed to count her money, she just tapped the table. Okay. So that me know she had money and I better count it for her. All right. You know? And we missed, I could finish the sentences for her a lot of times because our minds were so much on the same wavelength. Yes. And I realized that she just had to repeat words several, several times in order to try to be able to say them. So the conversation was still in her. She just couldn't get it out. Yeah. Her husband, who when she moved to Oakland to live with her son, her husband who lived in L.A. left us a book to, for me to read to her. Mm. The, the book was The Color of Water. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, she really... It was a beautiful thing that happened there. And in our conversations, she she would end our conversation a lot of times with, oops, my, that's my smoke alarm. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'm just burning uh, hash browns. I got it. But um, she would end the conversation with, it continues. And I said, oh, my goodness, yes, it sure does. And by, wow. she passed away a couple of years ago. And so often I just want to tell her it continues. It continues. <laughs> and wow. it certainly is right now. Wow. Wow, that's an amazing story. And, and thank you. Yeah. Thank you for sharing sharing that with us. Yes, You're welcome. Yes, indeed. You guys take care. Thank you. So you if their mind is right and they're the policies are right, then they've got my vote. There you go. There you there go. And as Francis was sharing with us, you know, it reminded me, it came to my mind that sometimes the problem communication is not with the person who we think has a problem, it's with us. How do we communicate with one another? Are we willing to uh, make those efforts 
um, to create a, a, an ability to communicate with one another and never never assume. Never assume, exactly, exactly. She said something that was interesting, though, which is get on the phone and, and, and uh, confirm, you know, what the conversation or the point of communication was about. And I, right. I was kind of chuckling because that's one of those generational things that have changed, uh, wherein people don't necessarily like to talk on the phone that much anymore. And um, you also have people being challenged by speaking in person. And all of those make it even more difficult sometimes to even know what a person is thinking, you know, because we've got these artificial barriers. What about, though, in, in terms of, I think it's accurate in terms of access and ability or, or desire to speak on the telephone, but is there also a generational difference? I, I think it's been my observation, I don't know, that uh, those who are older generation are less likely to um, engage on with a video chat of you know FaceTime as opposed to um, just an audio conversation uh, you know that's a good that's a good question you know because I see lots of advertisements where um, they're capturing older folks and I'll call call us boomers you know and older uh, doing video chats to talk with the younger members of the family, you know, grandkids, great-grands, et cetera, and especially because of COVID. Uh, and so you would see um, either advertisements or, or public service announcements, perhaps, that might feature an older person in a care facility, hmm. maybe with a mask on, talking to somebody on um on a, a video conversation, you know, in a video conversation. So I think you're right that there is a generational difference, but I'd like to think that because of all the other challenges, a, a, you know, like COVID, that that is declined. One hopes anyway. Let's well, put it that way. What, what has declined? Uh, the fact that there's not so much um, reluctance by older folks to use oh, to the use the video technology. Yeah, All right. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Maybe some. Yeah, I, I'm I'm interested. I I just know that I have a I have a tendency to when I want to speak with someone, I just automatically almost use an audio phone call rather than a an audio visual. You know call maybe because I don't want you know people to see what I look like you know but <laughs> yeah I, I don't know like well, when I, I call call my friends I don't usually do a video call but I well I, I confess I do video calls with my sister and uh -huh. a couple of my friends because I like that extra added dimension well you and know some, sometimes I ask is it okay for me to you know, to call yeah. a video call, and I, I'm less likely to just out of the blue video call someone. I, yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, the bottom line is in our conversation today whether we're talking about the use of emojis right. and how they're changing. You know what they, you know that what they signify, what they mean. Uh, in the middle of using them, as well as the fact that um, we have uh, two candidates for office with different different manners of communicating right now. And uh, the bottom line is still that full commitment, you know, to an honest and open communication. Because even though John Fetterman may have some challenges with getting the appropriate word for the concept of thought he's trying to convey. You, you know, you got somebody who is kind of glib, like Mehmet uh, Oz, who is not necessarily forthright. No, you not know? at so all. He's got the capacity, but he's, <laughs> he's not being honest with his communication. Well, let's, let's see what our, our caller has in and I think they'll be more honest. Um, Both. Good morning. Good morning. 
I I haven't heard all of your conversation, but you were recently talking about uh, Zoom chats and uh, how that works with older people. Well, I've got a large family. Uh, I come from uh, 13, 12 siblings. And uh, so a couple of us have passed over now, and we recently got together at a Zoom chat to have a a memorial, as it were, for one of my brothers. Mm. And we live in lots of different states. I grew up in Ohio, but we used to have reunions every year or two Mm -hmm. where we would physically get together, and that's pretty much ended when my mom died at 93. So um, this was the first time in a long time uh, that we've essentially gathered in one place, and most of us were able to do so. And it was quite nice uh, and revealing to see, you know, what people look like and, and how they are coping with the world. And yes. uh, so I think that the technology is useful. One of the reasons for hesitancy on the part of older folks is that they don't understand the mechanism. And if it's not working right, it's extremely frustrating. Yes. But, uh, and, and we don't have teenagers to fall back on to say, hey, make this work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my two cents. Thanks right. for your conversations as usual. Hey, hey, thank you. And uh, as yeah. long as we continue to know how to use a telephone, we'll have these conversations. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> thank you. You're listening to your community connection, KBOO Portland, 94.7 here in the city. 91.9 FURM points east along the Columbia River um, in the Willamette River Valley. It is 104.3 and everywhere on the web, KBOO.FM. This is More Talk Radio. Um, we, uh, Cecil and myself, we've been talking about fitness for duty. What does that mean in this day and age when we're looking to find all kinds of different ways of expanding our capacity? Um, you know, and 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 serving uh, in a larger purpose society, and well, you know, one thing that occurred to me in terms of our conversation of fitness to duty, which wasn't on the top of my mind until um, our conversations this morning, and particularly our last conversation with Bart, was that fitness for duty might might also we might also want to emphasize the ability to use technology to feel comfortable yeah. with technology. And the fact that, you know, you mentioned in terms of the use of closed caption, and those are things that are yeah. a part of of the challenges we face and enable us to do things that we might not have been able to do in times past. So as technology changes, so does our capacity to to fulfill obligations. So let's go to one more call uh, and hear what Joe has to say. Good morning, Joe. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Um, I, hi, both of you. <laughs> I listen to your program every Monday. Um, you. Yeah, oh, I enjoy your perspectives. You bring up really good um, things to think about and talk about. My uh, experience recently was with uh, Facebook Messenger. Mm. I have a family member who lives up in Canada, and it's free for both of us. Well, not necessarily free. You have to have your Internet connection. But um, it was, uh, it, it's the method that I have found to be the best for both of us to connect after long periods of time. Yeah. And um, so I, I'm just saying I'm grateful for other avenues of communication mm-hmm. that involves electronics and the satellites and apps and all that. Right. Um, in the past, I used to live on the road in, uh, when I was much younger, and <clears throat> the only way I communicated with folks was through postcards and the occasional reverse phone call. <laughs> oh, yes. I remember those. Yeah. Yes. And um, 
and it's just it, it's so important to uh, you know keep your human connections no matter how brief and how far apart it it um, it it brings love into our bodies and helps heal us mm, that is so important so important absolutely yes so thank you thank you you're yeah. welcome you know she reminded me of and I appreciate her her call because it reminds me that all of this you know this technology all of this desire to create better way of of knowing about the, our capacity to fulfill our roles all of this is is based on our need to build stronger community and how we are connected to one another and so I hope that we don't get so uh, overwhelmed by maybe technology that we forget that all of this is is important because it will help build stronger community um, and what we do with it is is it's up to us it could be for good or for ill that's absolutely true and uh, again um, to kind of condense what our, our callers have said uh, fitness for duty uh, has to do more with you aligning your abilities to serve a greater good and to self selflessly, not selfishly. And uh, um, that sometimes we forget does not depend on the same level of ability that, you know, uh, we typically expect. It's It's amazing to me that you can have a person um, respected and and celebrated for pushing through challenges as FDR was um, and we have people mocking John Fetterman for trying to push through and accomplish and I, I look at who we are as a society and wonder what is this shift? Uh, you know, now, of course, you will read some articles where people feel very encouraged by the fact that, uh, as a candidate, he's pushing on to show that he understands the basic uh, duties of the job and that he can accomplish them or that he will have resources to help him accomplish it. Uh, we look at Stephen Hawking. And he had to use a form of technology to communicate. But again, he was able to communicate and share um, dense and, and, and um, um, detailed concepts, uh, even though he needed an artificial larynx to do so. And so why are we bullying and, and punishing John Fetterman for using technology to communicate, despite the fact that he did have some gas in the Western to misstep or misspeaks, you know, <laughs> to keep my uh, my metaphors aligned. <laughs> yeah, and it reminds me that all of us are works in, pro in progress. None of us yeah. um, can, can say we are mistake-free, and nor do we have the excuse if that's the proper word or explanation that there is some physical or mental challenges for our mistakes for lack of a better word um, I think um, moral integrity is as important as intellectual um, ability and that to be cognitive is important, but you know I'm getting on my soapbox. To be moral is equally as important. Amen to that. Amen to that. Um, you are listening to your community connection, KBLO Portland, 
90.7 here in the metro area, 91.9, and Hood River, Oregon, White Center, Washington, and Corvallis, and Albany, Salem, and maybe even all the way down to Eugene. It is 104.3, but definitely everywhere. It's KBOO.FM. Coming up at 9 o'clock is the Old Mole Variety Hour. Be sure to tune in for their news, views, reviews, and uh, expand your horizon. Thanks for listening, and please continue to support your community connection, KBOO Portland. I'm Celeste Carey, your Cecil Prescott, and this was More Talk Radio. We'll catch you next week. Be well. Sylvester the Boogie Cat, meow, meow. You're listening to KBOO Portland 90.7 FM Community Radio. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with the requirements of the Communications Act of 1934.